0: For more information visit multimobile.com.
1: And what's up everybody welcome back to the o2 podcast tonight Paul and I we are here and we are actually joined with our, our guest Greg Kazmirsky did I say it right Greg you got it all right uh, I, that was a good a good you know college try there but oh, uh, yeah. Greg's going to join us here for the intro as we get started into the end of the show. Um, But first of all, Paul, the traveling man, the traveling man continues his trip around. This time it was a little different,
2: though. It was. Yeah. Twenty twenty eight states visited in twenty twenty two. Andrew and Greg twenty eight tired. I'm done. I'm no more traveling for the rest of this year. Uh, That is over with. But so I knocked off two more states, uh, actually, three. Uh, I had a layover in DC, but I went to, uh, Montana, Bozeman, Montana with, with Braden from go wild. We went, we're going to do, we're going to help out. Braden and I are going to help out with a campaign that go wild is starting in January, uh, in partnership with go or uh, mountain tough, uh, called the go wild challenge. It's a fitness challenge. So keep a lookout, uh, for that on the go wild app time to go Andrew, it was a lot of fun, man. I, I had a great time. Uh, I've been really working out hard the last couple of, you know, 12 to 18 months, really, you know, seeing a lot of progress in my, in my journey here. And uh, I'll tell you what, the mountain tough guys beat me into the freaking mountains out there. Uh, I, I still, I mean, I still can't walk right. My legs hurt so bad. And what made it worse is I get there and, you know, work out. I have, have a great time. And then I get on an airplane. I sit on an airplane for 14 hours. (laughs) <laughs> because of layovers so the very next day i was absolutely miserable but it's a great time got to go to stone glacier uh for their christmas party had antelope for the first time had elk for the first time uh man what a, what a great time dustin and, and and weston and sarah and jimmy at mountain tough were were great hosts uh and just just good people man just a, a really good program really good thing they've got going on out there and
1: you got to so meet- the only thing
2: that sucked about it is
1: You got, you got to meet, you got to meet Puky, the clown, didn't you? I did. Yeah. So,
2: yeah, I met him in the parking lot there at Mount tough, Uh, man. I, uh, I was not ready for the elevation. I was on an airplane from, you know, like freaking four in the morning until two in the afternoon. And we just dive right into the working out. And uh, I wasn't, I was not prepared and I popped, I popped like a freaking balloon, um, I told but you I said that, that happened.
1: When I get on an airplane, that's the last thing I want to do is get off and go work out. Like I love working yeah. out, but that is the last thing that I'm
2: interested Dude, in. Dude, it was yeah, it was tough, man. It was a tough day. The workout was really tough. Man, it was a lot of fun. Um Braden threw up as well. It got both of us. Uh so we we rallied and really I think we we performed pretty well the rest of the workout. So had a great time, man. Look looking forward to that. But it's uh, you know, care about your health, man. And and this this whole thing is is you know one the benefits of of just being healthy we all know that but it's really it's kind of geared towards like the benefits of being fit in a hunting application and I can speak to that with experience uh, specifically turkey hunting so Greg if you listen to the show you know that I will slip in a turkey hunting reference literally anytime that I can so oh, that's yeah. it for the episode I won't mention it again that's false that's he, a w- lie. he will that's I lie. guarantee that's he
1: we'll bring it up again so <laughs> well Paul we gotta start turning to that about was it. my we're about to turn the turn the corner into your turkey world, so it's not long. It's
2: coming. What do you mean turn? It's a, I'm, I know. It's a, I'm, I'm on a straight turkey hunt line, man. I'll I never know. leave that path. So.
3: Greg, do you turkey hunt? I do, yeah. Uh, uh, I, there we go. I started about four years ago up in Michigan, and then I turkey hunted for the first time last year in Ohio. Uh, my friend and I came down for a trip, and we failed miserably. But uh, we did get some good scouting opportunities. And so the trip was not wasted. And there you go. No trips. Wasted all, that moment. all matters.
2: So real quick to put a bow on my trip to Montana. Everyone talks about how beautiful Montana is. The mountains, the Bridger Gap and all these things. It was so snowy and so foggy for the 24 hours that I was there. I couldn't see more than 400 yards from any given spot. I saw there are no mountains in Montana. None. Zero. Zero mountains. And That's we kept fine. telling me about how pretty it was. And that mountain range is right over there. I'm like, no, it's not. Don't lie to me. There's no mountain over there. Just clouds, clouds and snow. That's hilarious. So, Real quick, Paul, yeah. what uh, mountain tough? What is mountain tough? So mountain tough is just uh, it's it's an app uh, and it's a gym out in Bozeman, but they've got an app that you can use anywhere. And it's just a program to get people uh, fit. So they've got training programs. They've got dietary uh, you know, new nutrition programs that you can follow. Uh, it's just, it's MTN tough. If you just put it into, into one of the apps, Google it, uh, mountain tough, they've got, they've got a lot of really neat stuff, uh, in, in their, in their programs. So cool. I, I've been using it. I've been using it some, we'll hear more, um, we'll hear more about them coming up. Yeah. Yeah. You'll definitely hear more as the, as the, as the campaign kicks off January 9th. So check that out on the, on the go wild app. Uh, go out app Instagram on go wild y'all and, uh, and mountain tough on their Instagram as well. So you'll see, you'll see a lot of me uh, looking like a freaking meatball. It's what the people want <laughs> so, more Paul. That's it.
1: But <laughs> so, And Paul mentioned uh shout out to the guys at go wild uh, for helping our show. And uh, my, I've been, we doing this for a couple weeks now, but my item of the week is the, uh, oh, I should have the exact terminology. It's the wicked North uh, white, their uh, Euro Mount,
2: and I got a couple of those. Uh... You already did that. You already picked the Wicked North Euro Mount. No, you I did that only did like I two I... weeks ago. Months. Get be original. Come on. What else you got? Did I do it already? Yeah, you did. Well, it. I you just did, did it right I just... when you bought one.
1: That's what I did this week. Was I got to go out and actually use it and like feel it and see how functional it was, and it was awesome. So yeah, I'm doubling down on that one. But it's a good one. It was. It was a good one. So uh, let's see what else
2: we got, Paul. Um, anything else on, on your front? Just working, man. Okay. I'm ready for ready for Christmas. Trying to wrap up my year with uh with the turkeys uh and, and put a bow on that. So nothing fun, man, other than Montana. I didn't do any hunting. I'm gonna try to do a little duck hunting here. Hopefully, uh I mean there's a massive, massive storm front, cold yeah. front coming through on on Christmas Eve. Oh man. That's uh. that's too cold. <laughs> I'm gonna be out there. No, it's not
1: regularize. Why were on that? Never heard it. Shout out to the guys at First Light uh for those very very cold days if you're out in the woods. Uh the Sanctuary 2.0 is legit. Get that with a couple base layers and and you'll be nice and toasty. It's almost I don't I ha- hate to say it's too warm, but it it's very warm. And uh I mean if
2: you're walk if you're walking the ridges in southern Ohio and you you are not going to be happy during no. that thing. And you need to take you're sitting in, yeah, yeah. yeah, you're hanging in a, in a tethered tree stand saddle, you're going to be just fine. And there's
1: just there's our uh, shout out to Tethered. So thanks to the guys over there. Taking the snow, what I'm doing. Yep, it's we're getting used to this. It's getting weird. Um, let's see. Finally, Midwest Gunworks. Thank you guys for partnering with the show. If you guys need anything, MidwestGunworks.com. and they're on all the social medias and stuff as well. The boys out there, gunsmiths, and they can take care of you if you've got any questions. You need to get something fixed after. Uh, we're going to go over the the deer numbers from this past weekend, our second week in a gun season, or if you need ammo or a new scope or anything on there, check those guys
2: out. So, um, uh, Remember, don't forget Ohio Outdoors 5. Save yourself 5% on any orders that you place. Still not good at this, Paul. I'm still not good at this. We started out so strong, yep. and you just fumbled it. You threw a 30-yard lateral that got intercepted and returned for a touchdown. Ooh, you guys nice. see that? Yeah. Did you guys see that online? Yeah. The Patriots Raiders game.
0: What an what an idiot, man.
2: I mean, we've all done dumb stuff, but I watched that. And I was just like, oh, that poor bastard.
1: <laughs> That's such a Browns move. I can't believe it didn't happen to the Browns. It is.
2: I'm I'm just the Browns actually won. You know, I, I started watching that game. I'm like, you know what? No, not doing it. It's made me mad. You pissed me off for the last time. I will see you next year. Funny. So and they won. I didn't even watch it. I watched like fifteen minutes of it. All right, so real
1: news. Um, Let's see. Around the state, we've got some hatch results for Lake Erie walleye and yellow perch. So the 2022 Lake Erie hatch survey shows that the Western Basin walleye and the Central Basin walleye and the Western Basin yellow perch hatches were all above average. Um, The Central Basin yellow perch hatches continue to be well below average. So this was uh, something they enacted a few years ago or a couple years ago. I think – I don't – I don't know the limits off the top of my head, but if you're in between like, uh, well, I know one of them is Huron because that's where I grew up. But the other side of, you know, from Huron past Cleveland over on the other side, I can't remember what the other town is. You've got that that central region where you just can't take as many perch because the hatches are not there. Um, and uh, Apparently that's happened again. Um, but everybody's very high on the walleye uh, hatches and we're going to get another couple years of really good walleye fishing um and then the western basin yellow perch they're talking is equally as impressive when it comes to this year's hatch compared or you know in comparison with the walleye um so there's lots of numbers there just another uh kind of update on that side of things so let's see here greg do you do much fishing
3: I do. Um, I do a lot of trout fishing in the summertime, actually, up in the upper peninsula of okay. Michigan. Uh, we got a family cabin up there that we do, like our uh, gun season deer camp uh, during the Michigan firearm season. And we spend it up there in the spring and early summer doing a lot of uh, stream fishing for brook trout and brown trout.
1: So Paul and I, we made a trip to the UP this year.
3: Oh, nice. Whereabouts?
1: Uh, we were over on Drummond Island, but okay, that's about all I know about up there.
3: Yeah, it's beautiful. Okay. Uh we're we're kind of like in the central part of the UP there. Okay. So once you go over the bridge you start headed west for a couple hours and we're tucked right in the middle of the Hiawatha National Forest. So it's it's beautiful up there. Nice. It is real real pretty up there.
2: And yeah. your and your kind of your experience through through school, did you have any fisheries management experience?
3: Uh no, no. Nope. Um okay. I did keep track of a lot of like the planting and stuff up in the UP just to see what streams they spent more time uh, keeping track of. And that was kind of like what directed where I fished and it always seemed to produce better results. Uh, So I kind of stuck, have stuck with that plan as I go about my fishing up there. Very good.
1: Awesome. All right. So since we're still in whitetail mode, uh, some of us. Always. Um, Let's talk about this. We just got done with the past, the extra weekend of deer gun season. So Ohio hunters checked 15,163 deer December 17th and 18th. Let's see. In the same two day period over the last three years, we're averaging 12,944 compared to last year. Last year was 9,619. So, that's pretty good uh, increase there in that extra weekend. It is. Um, I can't even remember what was the weather like. Was the weather good? Get people out. It's snowing
2: on Saturday.
1: That's true. Um, yeah. So we'll go through. We do our top. We'll do the top five counties if I can count backwards right on uh, for the extra two day season. So let me see one.
2: Number five was Carroll County. Well Whoa. Hold on, John. Place your bets for the number one county for this, this two-day gun hunt. Greg, sorry. It's okay. I was it's saying so- the, your name reminds you of the, John, the, the guy from the office. What's his name? <laughs> That's what I, I was thinking about, right? I'm like, it, it's spelled the same, right?
3: All right. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> I'm going to go with Ross County.
1: As number one? Ross County. Okay. Well, let's see. One, number five was Carroll County with 404. Number four was Muskingum County with 431, Ashtabula County with 473, Tuscararis with 513. And I can't believe there's even a deer still alive in Coshocton County, but there was five hundred and seventeen taken last weekend. So the Unbelievable. King, they just are the king, man. They just reign supreme over everything, every stinking week.
2: Top of the food chain up there.
1: Got a lot of deer, man. So good for you yeah. guys. Uh we'll uh, work on getting Mike Tonkovich or Clint back on to talk about kind of like the year in review. I'd like to wait until we get all the way through the rest of the archery through the muzzleloader. So we can really look at those numbers, compare them to the past years, but it looks like we're, uh, we're doing pretty good uh, when it comes to maybe even increasing some of the, the harvest from, from the past year, which in talking with those guys, that was necessary. So, Besides that, Paul, I don't know. Do we have anything else to kick off? You got anything else news-wise?
2: I don't think so. Greg, you got anything that uh, no, nothing you've seen right. floating around? No, nothing too
3: interesting here.
2: Waterfowls fowl full swing. A lot of ducks dying. A lot of geese dying. So, yeah, man. It's a good time of year. Well, Holidays are here. We will go ahead and get
1: kicked off here. We've got Greg Kazmirsky, Greg, welcome to the show. And uh, we're going to let you give us a rundown of kind of what you do and your your background. And then we'll just start firing away and get on a topic and roll. All
3: right. That sounds good. Uh, so as they said, name's Greg Kaczmierski. Uh, I actually just moved down to Ohio back in August. Uh, I've been spending a lot of time down here for the last five or six years. Uh, doing a lot of just public land hunting trips and really just fell in love with the atmosphere of the deer hunting down here, the quality of deer, everything like that. Uh, Even just what I experienced on the public lands was so much different than all the experiences I really had up in Michigan. And I finally convinced my wife to uh, make the move down to Ohio. Um, So we found ourselves down here. And now I am actually just starting out as a habitat consultant for whitetail partners. Uh, Whitetail partners is a company that started in the state of Wisconsin and the owner of that Sam Billhorn decided to kind of expand the operations of that this year. So now we have regional experts that cover Wisconsin, Ohio, Tennessee, Georgia and Michigan Uh, so I cover the Ohio region and then the surrounding states and pretty much what we do is we work with private landowners to assess their goals what they're looking to do with their properties and we draw up full-scale habitat plans for them to help them achieve their goals and then just build that lasting relationship and uh, keep working them with them years to come.
2: So what, what were some of the, the main differences that you saw in the, in the land of the deer uh, you know, in Ohio than Michigan? What were some of the things that really kind of caught your attention?
3: I think for me, it was really just the quality of mature deer or the quantity of mature deer, I guess I should say rather. Uh, we just didn't really get a lot of experiences chasing around even just three-year-olds and older than that uh, back up in Michigan, but it seems like with the right amount of work and if you're kind of willing to dedicate some time out there, whether it be on public or private land, like they're they're out there and I have noticed that. Uh, doesn't mean that they're any easier to kill and get on, but they're at least out there. So that was the big difference. And then outside of that, just really habitat-wise, it seemed like there was a lot more prime habitat for them. Uh, back up in Michigan, especially where I lived in the Saginaw Bay region, it's flat, swampy, not a lot of elevation change. So it was really hard to narrow down where a lot of the deer are traveling through. But down here, actually being able to work with the topos and everything like that, it just, uh, it's been a joy uh, really getting to learn Ohio as a whole and how different it is across most of the state. I've just, I've really enjoyed hunting down here.
1: So the, the idea that the deer are bigger in Ohio, what, I think that's what you're saying, right? It, mm-hmm. What would you attribute that most to? Is it the habitat? Is it the agriculture? Is it the, the regulations? Cause I think Michigan's a two buck state. And if I'm not
3: correct, right. Yeah.
1: Okay. Um, Is it, you know, what is it that is causing us to have bigger deer in your opinion?
3: I would say a collection of a few of those things that you just said. Um, I think one of the really big things in my personal opinion, I've always felt this way is the two buck state of Michigan compared to the one buck down here in Ohio. What I always heard from local hunters back where I grew up in Michigan was they frequently would use that first buck tag on the first set of antlers that they've seen, whether it's a year and a half year old four point or a two and a half year old small basket eight point, they're okay burning that tag because they know they have that second one in their pocket where those same guys can go on a rut trip, come down here, and they're going to see that two and a half year old eight point on the first day but they don't want to shoot it because they know that that's their one and only tag. And I think that's a big part of it. And then, man, I just think like, especially down in this area, like where I'm at in central Ohio with just how much ag is around. It's just like, you got 200 acre feed piles all over the place. And it's hard to fathom how they, they can't grow to be as big as they are.
1: Yeah. And those rows of corn besides fueling them also give them a, an amazing area to hide uh for most of the most of the summer but do you think uh this is a question i've kind of just in general coming from somebody with a, a state michigan has some antler point restrictions um i believe mm-hmm. and do you think I, I i've seen that over in pennsylvania their antler point restrictions tend to grow bigger deer they obviously are allowed to live longer have you seen any of that in Michigan? Because how long have they had their antler point restrictions? And, you know, is that causing, are, you, are they starting on an upswing of, of bigger deer at all?
3: Yeah, uh, it definitely does help. So it's it's been different timelines for different parts of the state as far as when they've implemented them. Uh, but from like my experience, so where I was at in the Saginaw Bay region, there wasn't any APRs. So you didn't really get the opportunity to see that. But when we would go on like our trips to some of the areas that did have the APRs, uh, there is just more, even just like basket eight points walking around. It seems like just by those few years of letting those younger age deer go really just improves the genetics. Um, So like for where we do our deer camp up in the UP, uh, they started that. Don't remember how long ago it was, but just through like logging trail cameras, there is a significant difference now compared to when they didn't have that in place. Even though the overall deer numbers are dropping in the UP, I feel that the quality of bucks is on the rise. So why
1: is the number of deer dropping in the UP?
3: Well, uh, you could go about that for a whole couple of days if you wanted to. Everybody has their opinions. Um, there seems to be a problem with the uh, wolf population up there. They definitely take a toll in deer and they're, they're, uh, they're not doing anything to regulate the population of the wolves. So and that's at the federal level. So um, it's really out of the hunter's hand at this point. And between that and just harsh winters, when those harsh winters come through, uh, they have a really hard time because they have to migrate up there. And when they're migrating down to their yarding areas and they have to trudge through feet and feet of snow and they're being chased and tailed by all of these wolf packs, it just, it gets really hard on them and they just pretty much just wear themselves out.
1: Tough life up there.
3: Yeah, it is. Uh, that definitely contributes to the quality of the rack size up there as well just running around all the time and not having those quality food sources anything like that it's just it's a tough way of living it's definitely you see the difference between a deer that lives up there and a deer that lives down in southern ohio the stress level seems to be quite the difference
1: They got it easy down here yeah so, so greg with your um your role with Whitetail Partners and stuff, what kind of background do you have besides being, I assume, a lifelong hunter and, and all that kind of stuff? Is this something you know went to school for or just picked up along the way?
3: So uh, as far as experience with consulting, uh, growing up, I just helped out, whether it be with close family or friends, uh, a couple of the properties in the area, and just kind of took charge in like the habitat projects uh, whatever it may be, whether we were creating bedding areas, planting food plots, doing all that kind of stuff. Uh, I would just always be out there wanting a hand because I took any use I could growing up to get out in the woods. Um, and like you said, being a lifelong hunter is ever since I could drive back when I was 16, like that was my thing. I was anytime I had free time, I didn't do any sports or anything in the fall because I just wanted to hunt. And, uh, whether it was for myself or helping somebody else out, I I always seemed to find my way out into the woods, either hunting or improving somebody else's experience. So that's really where it all started. And then uh, once I got a little bit older, you know, and actually had some dispensable funds to use, I started traveling down here to Ohio after uh, coming across just some social media accounts that showed how good the hunting was and decided to try it out. And right from that first trip, I was pretty well hooked on what the place had to offer. So
1: when you're looking at properties, what uh, is there a size limit size, you know, minimum or um, for you guys to come in and put together your comprehensive analysis or
3: So there's not necessarily a size limit, uh, but the size of the property along with uh, what goals the landowner is looking to get out of their property is definitely going to have an influence on what type of plan that we're going to draw up for them. Uh, You know, you can get a lot more features on a larger piece of property, you know, a couple hundred acre piece up to five, six hundred, whatever it may be but it's also harder to be more detailed on those larger pieces just because that's a ton of work for somebody to come in and try to put in that many projects over that large of a piece of land where on a smaller piece, you can get more detailed. You just have to be a little more minded about other things like access and how many locations you actually have set up. So there really isn't, a size limit or a low size, but the plan is going to change based off of that size and what the landowner is looking to get out of their property.
1: With some of Ohio's smaller properties and that kind of stuff, I mean, I think selfishly of my, my own self, I have a small property. It's butts up to ag. Like the food is obviously in the ag uh, for mm-hmm. the most part. I And I'm not going to have 80-year-old you know, oak trees throwing acorns anytime soon, or that will matter for my, my purposes. So, is it if you come across a small property like that? That I'm assuming that that's something where you're going to try to encourage bedding. You know, transition areas. You know, just things that can be put together in a relatively quick time frame, but also give you know some benefit to to the white tails. Is am I thinking correctly or
3: yeah yeah and then also you know it it depends too you know say that you're just somebody that really only likes to go out in those few weeks in November when there's that peak chasing activity then maybe we're going to focus in on uh, developing pinch points and setting up mock scrape locations and things like that Uh, so that way you can get that full experience that you're looking for Um, so if somebody also, you know, we were talking about turkeys earlier in the podcast, maybe the plan isn't just solely related to whitetail, you know, we're not going to come in there and be laying your property out for turkeys specifically, but we're also going to keep that in mind, you know, uh, it's really going to just depend on what that landowner is looking for. And like I said, you know, uh, the time of the year that they plan on doing the hunting is really going to influence what type of projects we're going to come in and do on the land.
1: See, I told you, Paul turkeys, this wasn't going to be the last time we talked about them.
2: <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> so Greg, when you get to a property, what's kind of the first step for, for a landowner, um, obviously determine, well, what are your goals, but, but you as the person that's going to, I, I assume it's like an assessment, right? What, what are you, what are you doing? kind of the first time you step on the property?
3: Yeah, so usually uh, before we get to the property, we're gonna have a sit down with the landowner, uh, whether it be like at their house or take them out for breakfast in the morning to kind of get an idea of what those goals are, uh, just and past experiences, what they like to change, you know, a little bit of everything, and then just take some notes on that and then use those notes once I get to the property to keep in mind as I'm walking it around. And we're gonna give it that full assessment where we're just gonna walk through the property and get a general idea of what we're working with, uh, what the property, what features it has that are good, which ones aren't so good, what we can change to fit the goals, uh, different types of projects. So really it just starts with that assessment and then building out the detailed report from there for the landowner to provide them with what they need to start working towards their goals.
1: You ever just get on a property and you're like, well, this is crap. This isn't well, going to work. So
3: <laughs> it's like, I don't know, after, uh, all of my experiences hunting public land, I've realized that sometimes when you get that initial, well, I just don't see how a deer could possibly live living on here seems like you might turn over the next log and there's a 200 inch buck laying there. So uh, it really seems like there never is a property that you can't find at least some way to make work. You know, you definitely got to get more creative and have a different approach with some of them. And obviously some some properties are just better laid out than others. But I feel like there's always a way to work with any, any piece of property.
1: So we talked to just kind of, teetering around this turkey idea and uh, you guys are your company is whitetail partners Mm -hmm. but you can't integrate different types of species that you're trying to bring in right that's not I mean you don't just have a turkey property and you don't just have a whitetail property they can kind of coincide right and is that something that I mean that's that's realistic right
3: yeah it's realistic you know it's not something that we're going to come in and be able to offer like our expertise up for what is going to be that optimal turkey habitat you know it's just you have to stay stay in your lane but we want to make sure we keep that in mind where if somebody is a full use landowner where they're not just a whitetail hunter they're just a hunter in general then we're going to want to make sure we keep that in mind before we go about only doing projects for, White tail specifically uh if does that answer your question
1: it does paul don't make fun of me if i ask any of these turkey questions that just sound like an idiot because you know i'm i'm the novice and still learning hey amen
2: any i think anytime someone does good fundamental habitat improvements on their property it's going to benefit all critters man not mm. just you, you you can't manage just for deer. like, like everything's going to use it You know, everything's going to benefit from good habitat. So you may, you may maximize some areas, you know, for deer or turkeys or squirrels or woodcock or whatever it is. But yeah, I'm, I'm all about habitat improvement. So uh, Greg, if if you would talk about native food sources here for whitetails Mm -hmm. in Ohio. So we all know acorns. Uh, What else are deer looking for and eating? Not, you know, obviously, there's a a ton of stuff for them to eat. You know, April through September, October. Once those acorns flush out, what what's a good native food source for for whitetails?
3: I mean, I it's been really hard for me to find anything that can trump the these giant egg fields. You know, if they're anywhere in the proximity, it just seems like that's going to be the main draw to the area but I, I've i tried to observe more of the browsing habits of the deer on their way to the ag uh, throughout my hunts this season and it's just pretty much anything that is green that can be right about head level where they're keeping their heads up and they're just walking their way through out to those ag fields or if it's uh, late September, early October, and those white arcs, white oaks are dropping. It seems like if they can just kind of keep their head up, there's so much food available in the woods out here that anything that is green or plush berry, they're just going to kind of munch on it on their way. I haven't really found one thing that sticks out more than the other, just because there is so much food available, um, I do know one thing that I have caught on to this year that I haven't noticed in the years past is I've seen a lot of browsing on uh, poison ivy leaves, which that was really interesting to me to see that. Uh, But I seen it like three or four days in a row. This group of deer I was following in the early season, they were always in this one little path before they worked their way to the field. And then after they kind of moved out of that area, I went in to see what it was. And there's a little thicket of poison ivy there that they were hitting almost religiously on their way out to uh, the bean field.
1: And that's a native. It might not mm-hmm. be our favorite native, but it is a native. Right. Plant, it's right? not
3: very. It's not very good for us. But uh, yeah, it really seems though like any any of that green stuff. You know, they just they'll just kind of munch on anything on their way. And um, it's it's hard to narrow down the food when there's just so much of it around. Uh, so really try to shift the focus for myself personally on what they don't have. Cause it's easier to fill that gap of what they don't have rather than trying to solve that piece of the puzzle when they have so much of so much different things available.
1: Yeah. I think like we were talking earlier, our deer tend to, they're kind of spoiled. I mean, we got a lot of egg knock on wood. We tend to get good amount of rainfall. So I hear people out, you know, Nebraska and stuff about, talk about having water sources and it's like, and we got puddles Mm -hmm. everywhere most of the year. And yeah. um, Now at this time of the year with the ag fields or whether they're, you know, they're cleaned out and they're turned over or whatever. What are they, what are they munching on at this point?
3: At this point, like right now, um, if you don't have any sort of food planted on your property, they're really moving out to, like any kind of cut corn field at this point it just seems like they can find some sort of thicket really close to the edge of that cut corn and they're just going to get extremely lazy and just pretty much be point a to point b point a to point b day in and day out until there's either not that food there anymore or they have a they got bumped out of there but if nobody's disturbing them it's like they're not going to make it any harder than it has to be really.
1: Awesome. One question I've had for land consultants and stuff in the past, you've got a piece of property. It needs to be planted with, we'll say native shrubs. Okay. Mm -hmm. Anybody can go down to Lowe's, go to your local garden center and buy, you know, a three gallon, five gallon viburnum dogwood, whatever, name it. But those plants are like, Expensive, right? They're mm-hmm. they're they're, I don't know. I'm just fifty bucks a plant, right? And if you've got fifty acres that you're, and maybe you're not going to cover the entire thing with it, but do the math. You know, you could add up some really expensive plants pretty quickly that are essentially being, you know, to just put out in into the the woods. They're not landscape plants. You might be buying you. You're not going to buy landscape quality plants for something that you're putting out in a in a field, right? Mm-hmm. Where can people go to buy? I, what is it? Is a term? Bare root or uh you know, kind of a, a nursery stock type of I don't want to say low grade, but you know what I mean. Something that's more mm-hmm. utilitarian and more towards towards this purpose where they're they're being able to maximize their their uh their dollars when it comes to trying to plant, you know, things like uh for, for their properties.
3: Yeah, so I uh that's one of the areas I'm actually looking to build up some connections with, uh, some local connections if there's any suppliers around. But there are companies out there that are gonna specialize in like more of that bulk setting type of thing, specifically designed for people that are trying to do those larger plantings. And like you said, that aren't just trying to go down the lows and get one or two to go out and plan in their front yard. But they're looking to go and plan on a more mass scale. Um, So I would recommend just kind of seeing what type of local source is out there that might be some sort of nursery or anything that is going to be able to kind of more fit your needs uh, when you are looking to get them in bulk orders.
1: Yeah, I know I've Googled it numerous times. I get bored. And yeah. I'll be sitting there and I'll Google it and I'll be like, you know, bare root trees or whatever. And I end up with somebody in Virginia or Oregon, mm-hmm. Tennessee. And I'm always hesitant just to just because they get in different growing climates. You don't know what you're going to get. Um, are they hardy there? There's different issues with some of that. So that's always been one of those things. I'm like, man, I got to figure out somebody local that's can, can do this for me.
3: Yeah, definitely. Um, and you know, like I, I can't sit here and pretend that I have all of the answers uh, just because there are still some areas that I am working on. And that is one of them. You know, um, I do like to outsource the areas that I am still working on. And uh, the plantings, uh, what what exactly goes into plots. I definitely look for more expert opinions on that because I don't want to act like I have every answer if I don't, because that's just a disservice to the people that I'm working for at that point. Right.
1: So one of the other things that always comes to my mind is you you guys come in, you write this master plan, you know, you're a consultant, right? You're, you're not necessarily the guy that's going to come in with the, the backhoe or, you know, the bulldozer and cut these lanes and plant this stuff. Do you guys have some contractors that you can work with if, if, if the if the property owner doesn't have access to that stuff or, uh, you know, you point them in the right direction on, on how to actually implement your plan?
3: Yeah. So, uh, you know, there's a couple different ways that you can go about that. And that's one of the things that we talk about before as we are getting ready to lay out the plan is do they personally have access to equipment or do they know somebody that has equipment that they will be able to use for these projects? And if not, then at that point, once we write up the plan and find out what projects need to be done, then we can recommend those points of contacts for them to kind of make sure that they are going with a reputable source that's going to provide that high quality work. And then we also do offer field days uh, was what we call them where we will actually come out and help out on the properties uh, kind of like guide the, guide the projects in the right direction. So
1: do you ever get into like permitting issues where if you're changing water ways or anything like that?
3: Uh not I, not myself personally. Okay. No.
1: Paul,
2: you look deep in thought. So What, what, what kind of cover do you like for deer specifically, since it's, it's what everyone cares about, what, what kind of cover can you create to kind of attract deer and keep them on a, on a given property?
3: So really what that's the other nice thing about Ohio is, uh, you can pretty much go on any hilltop and find a nice bedding habitat for a group of deer. Um, but It's best if you can create an area for the deer that they're going to stay pretty well undisturbed, but also make sure that they have some sort of access in and out of that area without any kind of like extraordinary effort. So you're going to want to, if you don't have a thick area or you don't have any kind of bedding on your property the best way to kind of get started with that once you identify the location, everything obviously is opening up the canopy. Uh, And one of the good ways to do that is through some tree cuttings, hinge cuttings, things like that. you open up that canopy which allows sunlight to come down through. And that is what allows the undergrowth to come up which creates that prime bedding habitat. And then the trees that are laying down however you position them is what creates that visual blockade for the deer, for them to feel secure within that bedding area.
2: So being from, from Michigan, have you heard of the Mitch Rompala buck? I have. Yes. That's so a, I, I was just introduced to that like deer.
3: That. Uh-huh. What's that? I said, that's like the bulk tail that you got growing up on. And yeah. you, you hear about that and, that's what gets you hooked to hunting the the big woods up in Michigan.
2: I want to do I want to do some video with like just pictures of this. Because I was just introduced to it when we were when we were up uh in in the UP. One of our one of our friends we went with lives in Traverse City and this deer was was allegedly killed outside of Traverse City. And if you don't know what the Rompala buck is, uh what what what, it, what was it? Like 218 inches yeah. of typical freaking white tail deer and so immediately everyone starts like hating on this guy like this is this is bull crap you know this and this this guy you know bought it from a high fence and 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 so he just is like screw you all it takes his deer and and and, and disappears mm-hmm. i mean completely disappears and the story just gets real crazy and i went down a, a romper of buck freaking rabbit hole man and i've read a ton of stuff about it. i even watched as many videos as i could it's fascinating but one of the things that's really really crazy is that this guy said i mean this deer lived in a swamp was where Mm -hmm. he where he you know he said so in some of the some of the criticisms that i've seen of this deer from people was that like in these areas like ohio and uh the, the areas of like, uh, like Southern Ohio and, you know, where there's not a ton of ag and like swampy marshy areas that the soil just isn't good enough to support like the nutrition for deer to grow big antlers. I mean, is that, is that, is that a real thing?
3: Uh, I would have to say no, uh, based off of my, again, my personal experience, um, there, there seems like there's always, some random buck that lives out in those swamps that is just, it doesn't A fit freak. in with the rest. Yeah. It's just yeah. Uh, whether usually the ones that I see have like that dark chocolate rack. And, I love that,
2: man. Yeah. Yeah.
3: And speaking uh, Paul's language well,
2: now. Oh, I love
3: it. Most of the time, it's like they're ghosts and you never actually do get the chance to catch up with them. It's just, you yeah. know, they're there and you never know when they're going to come out. But I've had a handful of encounters up in those swamps uh, back where I grew up in Michigan, where it's just uh, it's you see some pretty cool stuff.
1: So this deer, oh sorry, go ahead, Moss. The stupid part of, from a habitat perspective: what is is in the swamp that makes that? Is it just that they can be that elusive and that, and they know nobody else is going in there, and they're just protected, or why is it, Paul? When we were up at Killbuck, I mean that. Marsh area, the sign back there was
2: incredible. It was like, it was, it was, it was amazing. I mean, we, we, I mean, it was squishy and I don't know what type of grass it was everywhere. I mean, it was a freaking marsh and the deer sign, the rubs. I mean, it was unbelievable. But the, and it I wasn't mean, like they, they freaking loved it. There was
1: duck hunters blasting off the whole everywhere. time there.
2: It wasn't yeah. like it was
3: quiet and peaceful. Yeah. I just, it's like, I feel that they always know they can tell the difference between what type of human presence is of direct concern to them and what isn't. And I don't know really how they distinguish that difference, but it seems like they're capable of doing so. But I think you pretty much hit it on the head. It's, it's really not an uh, ideal place for them to live. You know, they're going to be wet all the time. It stinks out there doesn't really seem like somewhere they want to, but same time, is anybody really going to go and stretch through knee deep swamp water to uh, try to get a crack at them? You know, nine guys out of 10 aren't going to do it. And that really presents a good opportunity for a deer to find a little hole to kind of tuck away in and just go about his business. Um, Because the thing that I always look at is that we always think that we're kind of like building through life. We want to get a bigger house, get a new car, do this or that. But really at the end of the day, deer are just looking to survive and pass along their genetics. And they don't really care what their place of living looks like as long as it works. And if it works, then they don't really need to kind of move on to that next bigger and better thing unless something pushes them out of it.
1: All this swamp talk, Paul, maybe, can we turn my backyard into a
2: swamp? Can we, can yes. we, <laughs> just put your put your garden hose out there <laughs> just let it run run, Honey, run the, the Wells dry, dry. <laughs> yeah yeah i i will have to say man after after my hunt in the marsh i i that might be my favorite spot to deer hunt it's fun that's it's, what i'm gonna start uh, looking
3: it's definitely different uh it's it's not for everybody but you can get yeah. into some pretty cool spots yeah had some, so, some pretty memorable hunts on spot ahead.
2: So what, what causes the chocolate antlers on deer? I mean, when we were, when we were on Drummond, they were freaking everywhere. I mean, yeah. that's, that was, and that's beautiful, I love it. I mean, you can yeah. see like this, this behind me. I mean, that's like what we, that's like the standard. It's just bleached
3: out, you know, just right. like that white, yeah. you know, antler. And, I don't know what it is, like why they do that, but man, it is so cool. Um, I remember I always got I think the reason why I like the swamp buck look so much is my grandpa got one like back in the fifties and it was just this beautiful ten point that has just absolute daggers in the middle and it's just dark as night. And that's what hangs over our mantle place up at our deer camp in the UP. So like that was the first true big deer that I ever seen and it's just got that dark rack and I think it was engraved into me at the at a young age that I was destined to try to go out and shoot. Yeah. Is it. A is
1: 30, it a thirty point buck? Yeah, 30, yeah,
3: basically <laughs> thirty
2: three and three quarters inches. Yo. we've we've been referencing that movie since mid November. Oh yeah, <laughs> and we haven't That's we haven't stopped, <laughs> and our wives yeah. still don't get it. Uh, yeah, uh, they refused to watch it. So I want to. So you said that you heard about the Rompelabuck Buck growing up. Like it's 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 legend. Was that was that something that like was that talked about a lot? And and uh, kind of,
3: it was like it's one of those things that the more parking lots that you shared the tailgate talk with, whether it was with your friends or if you're kid and you ran into some local who's been hunting around for years and years and wants to share yeah. some stories but the, it was like lo- it was always like that kind of thing so it was always just like word of mouth story but it was never never the same story coming from two different people
2: yeah one of the when i when i was going down my rabbit hole one of the beautiful things uh a lot of these like chat rooms like the beginning of like the you know so like 90s to 2000s like you could still find them yeah and, dude the conversations that you could find like right after this guy kills this deer, are freaking insane, mm. man. I mean, people were people were fired up about this deer, and we had we had Dustin Huff on the show what, what June or July, Andrew, and it was the same thing. He shoots this giant deer, he harvests it, he, he he kills it legally, all legal, did nothing wrong, and from the word go, people were like, like this guy, this guy's he 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 poached this deer. He shot he was spotlighting this deer. He killed this deer from a high fence preserve. And it was just one of those freaks in nature mm-hmm. that just no one no one saw. Yeah. And just the, the hate, man, that, that people have is is funny. So
3: yeah, it seems like uh unfortunately that's like the one thing that comes along with starting to harvest some bigger deers that the jealousy seems to find its way out before the congrats and compliments too yeah
2: yeah absolutely so what what do you think you think that that romp about real real or fake
3: i think that since he didn't really seek out any kind of publicity for it and he was just like you know whatever um that makes me feel like at the end of the day he wasn't really trying to prove anything to anybody he was just sharing his story and then he got yeah. bashed on for it so he just kind of said fine I'll yeah it. I'll take when my he book.
2: I think the the one thing that I'm like, dude, this guy, honestly, Mitch might be the greatest whitetail hunter of all time. In 1999, when he shot that deer, he held a state record in 24 other states, mm-hmm. yeah. and that's insane. Yeah. At some point in time, he had held state records in 24 other states. That's, that's absolutely bad. insane. Like that guy's like the, the, one of the best ever. You know, ever that's flinging impressive. arrow. So that's yeah, so. Yeah, it's like i i'm fascinated by that story man i want to i want to write a book about it i don't yeah. i don't even it is it is unbelievable
1: we hadn't even left the the county that Traverse city's in and paul had me watching some youtube video about it because he had been watching it the night before and
2: yeah. oh my god you gotta watch this i' like you gotta watch this oh, like, gotta right, watch go. this. this is the crazy it was an interview <laughs> it was an out. interview on a local news channel from like <laughs> 1994 i'm like you gotta watch this Andrew i didn't know this guy's mitch ron paul ron paul is never going to hear this but i i, I believe him and i i want to <laughs> yeah. i want to exonerate that that man's name uh, in, in the whitetail world so yeah good stuff man i i have
1: one more thought before we we call tonight but the uh you know ohio's been hit with some ehd this year uh specifically mm-hmm. at the southwest corner of the state pretty tough if you're a landowner down there that's trying to grow deer trying to provide habitat and stuff and you've had you a know, pretty good run-in with EHD, is there anything that you would suggest from a management perspective that they can do? I know you cannot make four-and-a-half-year-old deer show up overnight, but what could you do potentially to help remedy that situation quicker, or isn't there anything?
3: I don't really know if there is anything to up that process but I think the best thing that you can do is just kind of like trust the process of the plan and understand that there's just some when you especially when you're getting into something like this you know there's just some things that you're not going to be able to control and that's one of those things that unfortunately you can't control and unfortunately it's a real terrible thing as I'm sure that you guys have seen um so it's really, you just got to stick to the plan. And if you aren't getting the results from your projects that you feel like you should understand that there might be some bigger powers out there that are causing you to not have that immediate success. Um, and if anything, you know, you're just, you're building something better for the future because it's like, it seems that everything kind of goes in cycles because like in the area that I first started coming down here and hunting. I remember that like five or six years ago, there was a pretty bad run through like this of VHD, and then it was never really on the radar. And then now all of a sudden it's back again. So it seems like nature has its way of correcting whatever it feels like the deer population should be. So really, I guess you know, just like I said, just trust the process. You know, just keep doing all the right things and the deer, the deer will come.
2: Awesome. 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 Greg, thanks for your time today, man. Where, where can people find you on social media?
3: Yep. So, uh, I usually make the same post on my Instagram page and then they go right to my Facebook, but I am more active on the Instagram just because I'll, uh, I like to make posts about different like habitat projects and features, things like that. Then I'm also going to actually start doing some like the reels and everything with just some like some short tips on what you can do in different situations. And it's a little bit easier if people want to send me a DM, ask me a question to respond on there. Uh, So if you want to, uh, you can find me there at whitetail underscore partners underscore Ohio.
2: Excellent. Is there is there is there a website or anything?
3: Yep. Yep. So for our website, uh, which we're actually updating it right now to have all of our information on there. uh, It's but it is www.whitetailpartners.com. That has a full list of everything that we do. But like I said, we're just updating it right now to get like all of our regional specific information. But and if you want like a base level overview of what we're going to be able to do for your property, you can find all of our services there.
2: Awesome. awesome. Greg, thanks so much for your time. I really appreciate it.
3: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me, guys. Yep. Yeah, no problem. Take care, man. Yep.